Hi all, my name is Rebecca Botter and welcome to the Search for Ping podcast. For anyone that is tuning in for the first time, hello, welcome. Um, the Search for Pink is, it's a podcast where I interview creatives, usually women, and um, we discuss their journeys, but then also along the way, um, not seeking out positivity in like that kind of chuggy <laughs> chevron way, but um, looking for the pink was something I started doing about five years ago, which was even in a really shitty day, just saying like one positive thing that happened. And I used to share that on my social and then that uh, I love to talk to people. So then that turned into a podcast and now we're all here together. Um, so hi, today, da da da, we have Maggie Robertson on. Good grief. The world is wild. I knew Maggie four, four years ago. We went to Lambda, London School of Music and Dramatic Arts in London um, together. She was in my year. I, I, I was telling my mom about her. I, I, they actually, I think, took, they met Maggie actually once. They took me and a group of friends out to dinner in LA. Um, but I was describing her to mom and I was just like, you know, it was drama school. There was always drama, but no one, I don't think, ever had an issue with Maggie. Maggie also never had an issue with anyone else. She was so beloved. She, what is so funny is she really was like kind of a comforting mother figure to me. And um, now she's the, <laughs> a MILF. Um, but uh, yeah, she was very comforting, uh, very maternal very kind. There was once, I don't remember why. I know I probably do, but I shouldn't talk about it. Um, I was like crying and she's like, I want chicken nuggets and french fries. And I was like, okay. And it was like late at night. She went and bought some. I'm just standing there like a dork and I'm just thinking, hope she gives me some. And then she's like, hey, did she used to call me Buka? Did she? We'll see. Um, but she was like, hey, Buka, here you go. And she would share, she shared her like chips with me and I just greedily gobbled them all down. Um, and I think I just ate all the chips slash french fries. Actually, like my last, it's weird because this conversation has been really stuck in my mind. I'll, I wonder if she remembers. My like last thing I kind of remember the day before I left for London or the day before we all left London, um, Maggie and I were in True Cafe, it's near Lambda, and um, I was telling her about this like relationship I was in, and we had decided not to pursue the relationship, and it was just like blah, 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 and she was just listening, and I, I think it was like one of the first times I noticed I was anxious, because I was like, well, I don't you just think about like dynamics and friendship dynamics and romantic dynamics and just people and how you affect each other and blah, 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 at all times. And Maggie was like, um, no, no. And because she's too busy, like, thinking about, I don't know, her career being an actor. And then I was like, oh, it's not normal to be anxiously obsessed with people at all times. Anyways, that's boring. But, um, yeah, so Maggie, from the get-go, was like, and I don't want to embarrass Maggie, but she, oh, I really think everybody would agree. She was kind of our mile marker of, like, Maggie was kind of what we were all working towards. She was so good and so smart and but also like was so goofy and chill with us but she also was working on her scenes, working on her songs, working on other stuff outside of class all the time. So she kind of gave off this like relaxed cool girl chill vibe with us but then I think she still took her work very seriously and I only realized that towards the end good grief I wish I would have started that sooner I'm trying to think of any more Maggie fun facts that are not too personal anyways it's just kind of emotional I'm kind of in a weird headspace today not gonna lie um so it's gonna be interesting honestly the pressure of doing this interview with Maggie has kind of been sitting on me for a while. I, I'm so excited to talk to my friend that I really do care about, but also I'm nervous because either a lot of people are going to listen because Maggie is so beloved, 
um, by like this very specific community, also by our Lambda friends, but like, you know, I'm sure they'll be fine with whatever we say, but like very beloved. And so part of me is like, oh my gosh, a lot of people might listen to this. But then with my insecure brain that I'm in right now, I'm like, wait, but what if I, what if no one does? And I'm just kind of like, um, just to give you all some context, I'm sure I'll tell Maggie, but, uh, I work at a coffee shop and I miss remembered what my schedule this week was like. So I had to email Maggie's manager and just be like very firm and just be like, I am so sorry. Out of my control, I must move the interview. Not letting her know it's actually going to be because I'm like busy putting trash in a dumpster and like cleaning toilets. And I'll be doing that like 30 minutes before I get on a Zoom call with very luckily my friend who I'm so excited to talk to but just like anyways I know I'm gonna do a great job I'm so excited to talk to Maggie (laughs) okay I'm gonna do a great job I love you guys and it is time it's time to talk to Maggie Robertson oh um please on Spotify give me five stars if you didn't like it for some reason DM me um give me five stars. And then on Apple, please give me five stars and please leave a review. Um, If anyone's on the fence about that, I am sure Maggie would want you to leave me five stars. Do it for Maggie. Oh my gosh. Oh no, I can't hear you. Hold on. Is it me? It might be me. Oh no, it's it's working now. Thank God. (laughs) I... Did you hear me scream? No, but I saw it. <laughs> but like I had been shot in the stomach. Okay, I am triple recording because this is my worst nightmare. Losing the audio for some reason. Maggie. <laughs> oh my gosh. How are I you? Have missed you. Uh, you're so adorable. Oh my gosh! Look at these beautiful flowers behind you. Look at your beautiful face. It's a little too tall, but um, this is the first time I've ever. Um, I'm like recording the whole damn thing. So I was like, sometimes I like talk to streaming. Yeah, videoing it. Yeah. So I. I was like, well, I must make an effort. And I've seen your fancy YouTuber setup. There was once I was interviewing someone and then the light started, just the sun was setting. And then I was just completely in the dark <laughs> and they didn't know me. And it was weird. Um, how, how are you? Look at your, <laughs> your Harry Potter plant, your fancy, fancy thingy behind you. Oh, you mean this screen that I stole from my friend? Because mm-hmm. otherwise you just see the entire mess of my home. I didn't think about me. that. I think it's perfect, actually. It's yeah. quite genius. Yeah, um, I think so too. So how are you? How's your day been so far? My day has been good. I recorded some auditions in the morning and then I um, I went to a rehearsal space so I could do some more singing warm-up practice stuff and get back into vocal shape for singing. And that was really fun and exciting. And I was very happy to do that. Made me feel like I was being productive and pursuing my goals and my dreams. So, yay. Oh man. Uh, Cause I want to start from the beginning. Okay. First. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, oh damn it. But it's so tempting. I have so many questions about all of it. <laughs> okay. Maggie Robertson. Welcome to the Search for Pink podcast. This is the pinnacle of the podcast because my heart is so full and full of joy. Um, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, um, okay, I'm going to begin as I do with all actors because I've been proven wrong every time, but my theory is with acting children is often actors begin that some were the more shy, introspective kids. And that was me. I had social anxiety and I sat in a corner for 10 years. And some kids were like the sparkly look at me kind of center of attention. I know you're an only child, which really surprised me because I like you so much. Um, (laughs) 
So many people say that to me when they figure out that I'm an only child. They're like, oh, but you're nice. <laughs> like you're a decent person. I, I, I feel, I do feel kind of guilty saying that, but also I have six, I have five siblings and that's, as you know, such a huge part of my personality yeah. is just that I have five siblings. Um, so how do you think that impacted you becoming an actor, having, being an only child, maybe not? I think it totally impacted me. And it's so interesting because both of our family upbringings, dynamics, I think probably heavily influenced our our, um, uh, transition to becoming actors. I would assume for you, because you were having all of these kids growing up around you, especially siblings of all these different age ranges, that while you're more of an adult, you're watching your youngest child, your youngest sibling be the crazy, like be a baby and be just totally imaginative and have no filter and watching them just create and Mm -hmm. use their imaginations. Kids are so great for that, that sense of inspiration, that sense of play that's so critical as actors. I think everything that we do as actors training wise is to go back to that point of childlike wonder and Mm -hmm. imagination. It's about refinding that. So I'm sure growing up and being able to see that happening all around you and your siblings all the time was such a great source of inspiration for me because I was an only child. I oftentimes would create worlds for myself because I would just be hanging out alone in my room. (laughs) And what better thing to do than to create fantastical worlds to play in by yourself. So I had a very active imagination, I think, because I had no one else to play with Mm. the kind of the opposite is that that's what fueled my creativity. What was, what's one of your fantastical worlds? I went to Narnia like a lot. Oh, Narnia was huge. Narnia is such a good one because it could happen anywhere. You could just walk Mm -hmm. into a closet and all of a sudden you're in another world. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, that's the dream. I don't know. I had, um, I had a lot of different worlds. I think I was very, I grew up an avid reader. I didn't play a lot of video Mm -hmm. games. I watched television, but a lot of like animal planet television. So it wasn't like I was in on really hot kid animated shows or whatever, but I was a very (laughs) avid reader, specifically sci-fi and fantasy in particular was my niche. And so I would read these books and I would be able to see it playing out before me and step into the world and just totally go into that world. And so a lot of the things that I then created on my own in my bedroom were very fantasy oriented. It was me slaying dragons and mm-hmm. um, riding <laughs> horses or I don't know. I actually weirdly lived in that kind of imaginary world. And all that to say, I don't, isn't it weird that like you were in this world, but I, I don't know what I was doing. I saw, so my little brother, James is 10 and he's still in that sweet childlock place. It hasn't died inside of him yet. And I looked out the window once and he's just kind of wandering around our yard and he's got his like vest on, which is his Pokemon costume. And he's just kind of like pointing and kind of like muttering under his breath. <laughs> and then he's walking a little bit more and he's just pointing. And like, I, I wish I was just like, good grief. That's oh, what, that's, as actors, <laughs> it's so sweet. <laughs> so just, it's not sad. It's, it's just. It's so endearing. It's, it's not sad. It's just so so wholesome. It's so pure. It's so pure. And that really in drama school, I don't know if you saw this Maggie, but like after our first term together, it was just, it was all about like, let's relax your voice. Let's relax your throat. Let's relax. And I was like, I think all acting is just releasing tension. Yeah. That's like all we did. Get back Um, to neutral so that then you can put something else on top of it. And mm -hmm. when you do that, it's a choice rather than just something you have no control over. Where do you carry your, Mm. Mm. I'm done. That way I carry carry my tension in my jaw. Like Robert, once I went up to him and started crying after class because I was like, I'm stressed. And he's like, oh, I saw your jaw. 
which yeah. that's weird. And he just shoved his thumbs on the like outside of my cheeks and like I almost it hurt. But um of that course is the most Robert thing. <laughs> he he goes, and I think he said, What have you done to my lovely jaw? Like it was his now because for a year he had been releasing my jaw. Um, <laughs> where do you carry your tension? Because mine, like, it's like that part. Um, this, this is the irony of all ironies because now, you know, I started off as a singer, then I did acting and Shakespearean acting, and now I do a lot of voiceover and video game work. My voice is my livelihood and all of my attention is right here. I carry it in my throat. It is like, I am squeezing my larynx shut when I am stressed. It's the most counterintuitive Thing, the second the I need case? to use my voice, I it's like that's a really good question. Like, I have you- certainly noticed that since I moved to LA. I can't remember if it was also the case at Lambda, but at Lambda, like everything was so loose and open. And then the second I left Lambda, I was like, oh, I miss feeling like my body works, mm. which is on me, you know. You, yeah. you leave drama <laughs> and you're like, no, I'm definitely going to rehearse and practice all the time, just like I did in drama school. Yeah. It's- no. It's, it's not the case. It's more like, wait, and it's like at things they're like warm up. And I'm like, yeah, totally. We spent a year just warming up and now I'm full like, time. a full time, a full time up. Um, really guys just like love Lambda, but also like do a lot of yoga and like, it's kind of the same. Qigong, all that good stuff. It's yeah. Yeah, warm up professionally for a year, full for time. Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's go back to your childhood. So you started as a singer, cause now I have more empathy since we left Lambda, my little sister, Mary's 22, and she's actually auditioning for grad schools for classical vocal performance. So her life is like my voice, my voice, my voice. Like she doesn't snow ski anymore. She doesn't run outside in the cold anymore. It's like obsessive now. Yeah. She's also an anxious person. So Yeah, I totally, totally understand. Um, Yeah, so I started off with music and I started off with classical training and I don't think I ever reached the level that your sister's at where I'm trying to like do it professionally, but I definitely started off with the classics and learned how to sing using arias and whatnot and then moved on to musical theater. I always felt a block with musical theater. I like singing and I like music, but I didn't always necessarily like musical theater. And so then I um, fell into acting. And again, so much in hindsight, like all the things in my life that led me to this point feel like they were chance. Like I didn't choose to become, I didn't think to myself, I want to become an actor today. And even when I did music stuff, I felt like maybe my mom was the one that was like, Hey Mags, you really like to sing in your room. Maybe we should get you vocal lessons. And I was like, yeah, okay, mom, whatever. (laughs) Like, you know, can I have a little bit more agency in my own life? I didn't, I felt like when I was a kid, I was just like, eh, eh, eh. I didn't have a lot of really clear ambitions and I didn't have a picture of who I wanted to be. And so then I just allowed myself to go off and do whatever other people told me to do. And um, then miraculously, years later came to find out that, no, actually, I really do like to do this. And then it became a conscious choice of, I'm going to apply to grad school. I am going to do this with my career, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. What was your question? Cause now I've gone totally left field. Um, no, I mean, you're, well, you're taking us through that. And I do think it's a very natural progression. Um, and, and I do think, I think singers in intros, into acting, I think is really interesting. I do have a random question. Musical theater, what's a musical you like? Because there are those camps of like, this is like Book of Mormon musical, but then there's also like, um, I don't like- the, Oklahoma. The yeah, Oklahoma. But even like, I well, I kind of put honestly Book of Mormon and Oklahoma together because it's like- Mwah. Book of Mormon references a lot of the styles of the old musical theater classics, I think I've never actually seen it, but um, I haven't either. Yeah. I think I like a lot of the contemporary musicals. I freaking loved Hamilton. I didn't see it live, but I watched it on Disney Plus and yeah. I was like weeping and sobbing. I loved Next to Normal. I really like things that are playing with sound in really interesting ways. And Hamilton definitely does that. I think 
next to normal definitely does that. I like, so I like a lot of that stuff. There's another musical that I was in actually called Danny girl. And that I think was one of the first musicals that I was in where I was like, Oh, wow, this is good. Mm-hmm. I am proud to be doing this, to be singing this music because this music is out of this world. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, but then, so I fell into acting and then I started to do some shows in college that were theater shows, mm-hmm. but incorporated music in it in a way, but it wasn't a musical. So it was a play. And then there was a character that happened to sing, or I was able to write, I was able to help co-write a lot of the music for a production that I was in, in college. And that was really fun and exciting for me because again, it is about, for me, I really like to play with sound and think about how, um, sounds are coming together and interacting and telling a story. I was in, I did acapella in college as well. And so that was a big part of why I enjoyed doing acapella is because I got to be a part of the background and I got to arrange music for our group. And so with that, I'm really thinking about how the different parts are interacting with each other and talking to each other and how we can take all of these individual lines and mash them together in order to make a song. What's happening dynamically? What's the story that the dynamics are telling? I like all of that stuff. So that was fun for me when I was able to combine my interest in music and my interest in acting into these kind of plays that featured music, but were not musicals. Mm. That, that, it's so funny. Now I have music friends and I've never really paid attention to the music. I I know that that sounds awful. And then my sister is, you know, a classical singer, but I think that is so amazing that people think that way because I just absolutely don't like, I once listened to throwing it back to, you know, Inception. Have you seen it? And the top, yeah, the top is spinning and they're like, well, how do you know? So once, gosh, I'm throwing Mary under the bus. Once Mary couldn't finish an essay in time. So I watched this video that she had to write an essay on and then I wrote it. And it was amazing because the person was breaking down the music in Inception. Yeah. And it's like, if you listen to the music, the music like happening in the dreams are happening at the end or like somehow the tempo is repeating. So everyone is like, is it still a dream? And then the composer dude is like, well, duh, the music is still, I'm still using the eight fourths of the thought. It was very technical. It wasn't just a song repeating. And I was just like, people are so smart. Isn't that so cool? So smart. So, so cool. Also, if you haven't, I don't know. Are you into Star Wars? Your family. Yeah. I like, Uh, I've watched every single one of them. I don't like own stuff about it though. Gotcha. Did you watch the Mandalorian? I've seen episodes. I can. Okay. 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 Um, but they made a really cool documentary about the making of the Mandalorian, which I mm. thought was so fascinating. And they have an episode about the composer who wrote all the music and how he came up with the different themes of what is this character? It's the same in Lord of the Rings. When you listen to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, there are certain themes that are recurring that come back. Anytime we talk about the Shire, the Shire theme comes back. And it's, as you say, it's so fascinating to think about how music itself can tell a story, even if there are no words. I think that's also why I struggle with musicals sometimes is I never listen to the words. I'm always listening to the music behind it. So I struggle to memorize song lyrics all the time. Mm. I can memorize text really quickly if we're doing a play or Shakespeare, but then if it's a song, I'm like, what is this word again? Yeah. Oh, do you think you have an easier time memorizing Shakespeare because of the musicality to it? That's what initially drew me to Shakespeare and why I liked him so much, because again, it was this kind of combination of my two interests without being overtly, you can only combine acting and singing if you're in a musical. No, mm-hmm. it's in fact, Shakespeare is quite musical. And so I enjoyed getting to play with that. But also it can sometimes be a disadvantage to me. One of the things that all of our Lambda teachers pushed back on me on mm-hmm. was that I am so sound focused that I would, I had a tendency to lead with that and I could hear what it should be. And then I would try to replicate the sound, the way I thought it should sound rather than working internally to then create an external sound of communication. Yeah. Yeah. That I would get a little too caught up in how it sounded. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've had, you know, like when you do it one night and you're like, that was it, that, that was it. 
And then you're like, oh no, (laughs) (laughs) I'll never do it like that. I can't do it again. I do my best acting alone in my bedroom at midnight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you're like, whoa, that was genius. Never again. (laughs) Or like, I like to sing along. Um, this has come up a few too many times. The Jersey boy soundtrack was the only (laughs) CD in my car for many years and I just never got another one. So I weirdly know the whole musical Jersey boys is great. It's like, it's great, but that's such a specific thing to fixate on. <laughs> well, it's the only, I just, someone bought me the CD. So I was like, what's this? And I, <laughs> so I will like sing along sometimes and weep just because it's so in me now. And, um, I've definitely, I've definitely thrown away an Oscar or two in my, in my SUV. <laughs> I have peaked and it's over. I, um, so something different is I really, I don't know if you remember, I really struggle memorizing. Cause like I found out about my learning disability at Lambda. And I think that for many reasons, I love Shakespeare, but what's so interesting to me is often my like tongue knows what to do. Sometimes there have been times I've been on stage and I'm like, Oh no, I don't know what's about to come out, but it's like, it's so like da, 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 that, that it all kind of like trips, trips off the tongue. And I've often known them, even though I didn't know them. And I just, so that's very convenient to me. Um, that's so interesting. Is it because you think because Shakespeare's text itself provides so much structure that that helped? No, I think it's I, somehow in like how the words are assembled where it's maybe like repeating T's or I don't uh-huh. know, but like how he strings together the words in a musical way, they flow really well together. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like your mouth wants to complete this because it there, you know, there are like some lines that feel so it feels good in your mouth to say them. I, I don't um, uh, like make me a willow cabin at your gate and uh, cry upon my soul within the house, write loyal cantons to contempt love and sing them loudly even to the dead of night. It feels good. And I, yeah. I've never, that was like 10 years ago. And that's like immediately, you know? Yeah. Um, what's I like that? Yeah. Uh, Shakespeare role. What, okay. What's your favorite play? Besides anything you've done with me, <laughs> that's obvious. Okay, favorite Shakespeare play, and then what's a role you want to do? I have a pitch for you. Okay, let's hear it. Falstaff. I want to. You would be such a good Falstaff. Oh my god, that immediately kind of made my heart panic. Of like, I don't know if I can do that, which probably means you should try to do that. Yeah. That's kind of how I gauge things. If it scares me, then I should probably try it. Yeah, um, that's definitely terrifying to me. That's very difficult. That's a very difficult role. I don't yeah. know. I genuinely don't know, but I'd love I, to see. If I, I would. Can. I would. I. I would come. You know. Well, of course, I'm directly. <laughs> okay, good. I'll just have you in the audience. There you go. At <laughs> least I'll have an audience of one. And I'll be like looking around, and I'm like, this is really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, um. Yeah. Okay. Real fast. Falstaff is so physical. By the way, guys, if you don't know Falstaff, um, <laughs> he he's like one of the only characters in Shakespeare that repeats, but he's he's kind of like the original like drunken uh kind of womanizer but he's very funny and there's also a very dark sadness to him and blah 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 but he's one of the most beloved characters in Shakespeare's canon and Maggie would do great do you consider yourself a physical actor though because Falstaff is very physical um does that answer your question no I I don't know like I'm not so good at the slapstick stuff but I do now after Lambda consider myself to be a physical actor because before Lambda, my training was very um, intellectually based. I did a lot of analyzing text and really thinking cognitively about who these characters were and breaking them down psychologically da, 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 and analyzing every aspect of their being. Mm. And then at Lambda, that was the first time I had a lot of movement training where you're learning now how to interpret and respond to texts 
instinctually with your body and seeing what your body can tell you about the work rather than just your brain. And I found that my acting improved exponentially when I could kind of get out of my own head and get into my body. Mm -hmm. I just realized anyone that's listening is like, Rebecca, you terrible person. She does motion capture. Of course she's physical, but you, you know, when we were in, like we were doing, all but I don't think, I think that Lambda is what helped prepare me to step into motion capture and performance Mm -hmm. capture. I don't know if I would be that good. I mean, I think if you do theater, you have an awareness of your body and how to use it in a space. And my mm-hmm. theater background definitely helped me in the mocap sphere as well. Because yeah. it's like acting in a black box theater where yeah. you have no set, no props, no hair and makeup to help you tell the story. You only have your physical body mm-hmm. and your imagination. And yeah. you have to imagine the environment around you and endow it in such a way that it feels real. And if your body doesn't believe that you're in the middle of a desert storm and fighting against the sand that's blowing into your eyes and the heat and all that, then we're not going to believe it. And you have nothing to go off of. So, yeah, yeah. I I think just talking to you, I think one of the best things about Lambda or really, but like the training is they catch what you're um, also was an amazing thing about all of our classes is our, our classes. We all knew what we fell back on. You know, like, oh, oof, you know, n- n- not making fun of anyone, but like, okay, when she doesn't know what to do, this actor always kind of hits this sing songy quality in her voice, you know, or like it's something quite familiar or, you know, sometimes there's like a stance you hit, like, this is good acting. If I hit this stance and you're like, no, so-and-so you were so open yesterday and now you're doing that thing you always do. My cat's climbing on the... She hates it when I pay attention to anything else. Uh, So I think it was great, though, to have these teachers who have been watching for decades actors and like nothing we can throw at them is original anymore. And um, I think I was told like that was an original moment. And I was like, wow, (laughs) well, that was it. (laughs) Good job. You know, and that literally like was something I had to carry away. Like I once had an original moment. I once (laughs) had an original moment. So, okay. So motion capture, um, two things for one, I want to know how you got into it. Cause I remember looking, cause I remember you were like, I'm going to stay in LA. And I was like, cool. Um, and then I saw you in like motion capture class. I want to say, and I was just like, good on you, Maggie. You just like, cause when I finished school, I was like, I don't want to train ever again. I'm fine. And I'm training again. You like, it's just, it's just good for you. But, um, I was just so, um, proud of you that you instantly were just throwing yourself into another medium. You know, how did that happen? It kind of happened in reverse. I booked the job and I did the job. And then afterwards I was like, okay, But like, hold on, let me figure out what this is now that I've done it. What the heck is performance capture? What the heck is motion capture? Where can I learn more about this? And so then after I did Resident Evil, that's when I booked, or that's when I sought out classes to actually learn what the heck I'm doing. That way I didn't have imposter syndrome for the rest of my life. Did you have an agent after showcase? Yes. I did have an agent technically. I never heard from them. And then I found out during the pandemic that they closed and I never knew. (laughs) So they were just not in business anymore. So yeah, but all of the work that I booked after I moved to LA was from me, the work that I sought out and applied to on casting breakdown sites when I first got out here. So that's how I found Resident Evil. It was on, I don't know, LA casting or casting frontier, one of those, one of those sites and Mm -hmm. the breakdowns completely fake because they don't want any of that information leaked or released to the public. Cause that's games get shut down. If information is leaked, like they can put, they can shelve a game and just be like, Oh, we're not going to make it anymore. It was, it was spoiled. The fans found out about it. So they're very careful and secretive and about guarding their information. So it was a completely fake fake breakdown. The only thing I knew about it was that they were looking for someone who was 5'10 and over. For those of you who don't know me, I'm six feet tall. And so often my height is 
a detriment to me. So often my height is the thing that does not book me the job. And so this was one instance where my height could be the thing that actually booked me the job and opened the door for me. So I was very excited about it. I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely applying to this. And went through the whole audition and callback process, had no idea what I was auditioning for. I just thought it was like a little note, like not very well-paying voiceover job. And I thought, might as well give it a shot. I'm new to LA, might as well. And then I show up at the table read and I find out that it's Resident Evil. And I was like, well, shit. Okay. I guess I booked that. Okay. So was it like, did you come in with sides? Did you like, I mean, dummy sides or were you Mm -hmm. like just off book and you just did this? Did they ask you to walk around? Like, how did they test your physicality? Performance capture auditions oftentimes feel a lot like theater auditions. So again, it's like everything that I had been doing in training at Lambda uniquely prepared me to be able to step into this opportunity and really take advantage of it because it felt so normal. It felt so natural and everything that I had been, the culmination of everything that I had been training and working towards in school. So it felt very much like a theater audition. They gave me some fake sides to prepare and I went in and they had a big open space that was being filmed. So I was being filmed, but I had space to move around and walk around. And in fact, they encouraged me to use the space as I saw fit and, and did the audition with a reader and played around and the callback similarly was a big wide open room. And they had me kind of this time they did more improv physical improv stuff. So, you know, what would it look like if your character is walking around and using powers to magically throw things in the air and just all this different stuff that wasn't related to the character, but more just how do you physically move and improvise things? And um, so that was all fun. That was all of our training at Lambda. It was just that sense of play and flexibility and versatility that you can take whatever they throw at you and be able to come up with something and make it happen. So that was that. And then the performance capture job, the actual doing of it, again, felt very familiar. It was simultaneously completely different and eerily familiar because Mm -hmm. it really is that perfect blend of theater and on camera. You have this intensely technical component, but then you have the theater component, which is so highly physical and everything that I talked about before of being completely reliant on your body, yourself, and your imagination in order to tell the story. one of my mocap teachers after the fact said something that I always remember. He said that if he said that the, Oh shit, I didn't, I always remember this bullet. He said something along the lines of the spine, the spine always tells the truth. So the cameras are capturing literally your they strip away all your flesh and then you just see the outline of your body and your bones and da, 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 derping around. Mm-hmm. And if your spine isn't believing the world that you've created, your avatar isn't either. We don't believe it. So it's insane how much it actually can read. If you're mm-hmm. physically not invested, it picks it up. Yeah. Your spine reveals all. So that was kind of cool. So yeah, I did the performance capture job. It felt very familiar. My character also was very classical in the sense that she's Mm -hmm. grand and um, heightened in a a really cool way. So again, that was like, oh, wow, I'm doing Shakespeare, except Mm -hmm. with non-Shakespeare text. Um, So it was a very heightened world, playing physically with different things. And I think that's it. How long did it take to film it? The performance capture part of it, we, I think I did a couple of days in the volume. The volume is where you record performance capture. It's essentially a big open room with lots of cameras all around you to capture your physical data. Um, So I was in the volume for maybe about a week. And then the rest of it was in the ADR booth doing voiceover and face capture. That's so cool. Okay. So I've watched the footage of you doing it. And there's one thing that I, and I'm glad I did for, oh, obviously I should, but you know, but there's a point, I think where you're putting on lipstick or something. 
Oh yeah. But your hand ha- was so far away from you. Mm-hmm. So how did they explain that? To- like, w- like, let's That's say so- I booked it. I'm about to run in. And then you're like, okay, shit, Rebecca, you've never done motion capture. Whisper a few secrets. Yeah, that is a, that's a good place to start. Um, Also, I think when I was on the performance capture set, there was so much going on. And this is my also helpful trick to people who are either just going on to the first set, the first theatrical production, your first any job, I had to remain at a state of readiness 100% of the time. So when I was not physically working, I was sitting on the side, but I wasn't relaxing. I was watching what other people were doing before me so that I could pick up those secrets and tricks Mm -hmm. of the trade of like, oh, oh, okay. They did that because this X, Y, Z. So I was always trying to be learning while I was on the job and staying one step ahead. Or if they had stopped to converse, to have the director converse with our producers at Capcom in Japan, Mm -hmm. then I would kind of sidle over to try to listen to the notes that they were giving That way, by the time they came over to me, I was already coming up with ideas because I already knew what they were going to tell me. Mm. So that's that. But the moment you're talking about is so bizarre. You wear these helmets with head cameras on it. So I'm wearing a really big, heavy helmet, which is heavy. And you don't realize how much weight that is on your neck. The first day after performance, after being in the volume, I couldn't lift my head because it was so tired from carrying a 10 pound extra weight on my head. And my character is so tall that I had to adjust my eye lines. So, so if I was acting in a scene with someone, instead of you and I looking at each other in the eyeballs and exchanging words back and forth, I had to kind of cheat. And so I would look at people's kneecaps and they would look at a point above my head. And that's how they would convey the height difference of the characters as we kind of be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was leaning down and looking like this all day and having to support my head. And then at the end of the day, I was like, oh my God, I cannot lift my own head. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're wearing this big, heavy head camera. It swings around to the front and it has the camera right here. So that was another weird thing to get used to is that there's literally an obstruction right here. Mm -hmm. So when I'm trying to talk to you, I can see this and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I see a little bit of the rest of it, but this takes up a huge portion of your peripherals Mm -hmm. and it's very, it was a lot to get used to, to just have a big obstruction in front of your face. So you have this camera, it's capturing your facial data. And so you cannot have anything cross in front of the camera because otherwise it won't be able to read. It will um, corrupt the reading of your facial data. So anything that had to happen where I'm applying the lipstick had to be cheated. So I had Mm to mime essentially putting lipstick on my lips, but Mm -hmm. that's also the beauty of performance capture because the animators in post can take my hand, which is all the way over here Mm -hmm. and in post, put it here and make it look like I'm putting it on my lips. Oh, So it's a weird kind of Frankenstein process. And then there was another moment where I'm having to like suck the blood of another character. I've seen that clip. That was bizarre because I couldn't actually put my mouth to his wrist. Mm -hmm. So again, I had the big camera in front of me. So I had to mime. I'm far away from his wrist. And so I'm just there being like, (laughs) yeah. And it was like day one or something like that. I was like, Hey, nice to meet you. That is, I think, but I don't know. It's one of those things where it's very humbling where Mm -hmm. like, you're like, this is actually what being an actor is like, you know, is it, it's not glamorous. You look like a fool. You're wearing a Velcro suit. It, you can't hide nothing. All of your insecurities are just out there for your co-workers to see and then and... For them to just like and also they're staring at your body for a reason it's not just like oh that's what maggie's body looks like it's like hmm hmm and then it's kind of like can you turn this way when did you know what your character was going to look like i knew pretty early on actually i knew pretty early on and that certainly helped me create some of her mannerisms because she is so physically distinctive that Mm. that gave me so many ideas to work off of in terms of creating her physical profile of just luxurious, sensual, curvaceous hip movements, a lot of like flowy qualities. And I did, I used a lot of, um, lobin stuff 
in performance capture. That's actually really helpful in motion capture because it's so physical and you instantly can create a character using mm-hmm. the principles of Laban, a very physical character and tell a story with just your body. Um, so I used what? a lot of those principles. So nothing for her ever happened in a straight line. She was always very flexible Slide. and very fluid. And, um, but then underneath, so what I would play with is having this external versus an internal rhythm. So her internal rhythm is very strong, very uh, aggressive, like a slash. Mm-hmm. And then her external rhythm, she keeps it very cool and contained. She's in control. And mm-hmm. that's what gives her her kind of regal exterior. Mm-hmm. But then you always feel that something else pulsing underneath. And that's what gives her that kind of violent um, undertone. She feels dangerous. You don't know what she's going to do. She seems yeah. calm, but she still feels like a danger. So did you, okay. So like I didn't play the game and it, it looked really scary, but <laughs> I watched videos and whatever. And there's like the final form thing. Did you do the mocap for the final form or are they like, I'm going to go look at a bird, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they were like, I'm going to go look at a bird. Um, (laughs) No, I didn't do, I did face capture for that. So they Mm -hmm. would have me doing weird animalistic things in the booth. Um, I think we experimented with a little bit of performance capture stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Most of my recollection of that is in the booth, in the voiceover booth, doing lots of noises. So how long were you in LA before you booked this? Um, a couple of months. Wow. Wait, that actually lines up because I remember seeing you quite quickly in classes, mocap classes, or is it performance, performance capture? I don't want to, it's kind of, it's kind of an umbrella. Um, it's like rectangles and squares where one is the other, but the other is not always okay. which one is which, but essentially it's all under mocap, but some mocap is performance capture. Performance capture means that they are capturing your physical Mm -hmm. performance, your vocal performance, and your facial performance. Mm -hmm. Whereas mocap could mean that they are just capturing your physical movement. I did a mocap gig where they weren't taking my face. They weren't taking my likeness at all. And it was just them capturing me moving around as a character, but it was being voiced by somebody else being, um, designed to look like somebody completely else. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's very, okay. So one thing I wanted to say, just like, I just want to like keep validating Maggie because no one else can hear it. Oh, you still carry around giant water bottles. That's good to know. Um, but uh, I remember very distinctly because we notice skills that other people have that we don't have. For anyone that is not aware, I am five one, and so in in our final show together, Maggie and I were in Trillis and Cressida. What were our characters' names? Do you remember? I was Ulysses. You were the other guy. I was the other one. <laughs> and Agamemnon? No. No. I don't remember. I should have looked it up. Anyways. You love uh, how selfishly I was like, well, I remember my character. Well, of course you remember your character. I don't remember either. Anyways, but um, so I, I remember like, everything about how you looked and performed that character, but I don't remember your character's name. I remember looking out into the audience, guys. So, Do you know how Robert like convinced me to go ham on whatever I played? There was one night we were walking down the stairs together and we were like talking in Southern accents to to each other. And you were doing it back to me and I was doing it back to you. Oh, you and I, you and yeah, you were, you were talking back to me in some kind of Southern accent. Oh my God. I thought you were saying that Robert was talking back and forth with you in a Southern accent. I was like, Oh, to be a fly on that wall. (laughs) So he loves my Southern accent because Brits in general love Southern accents. He heard the two of us doing it and he pulled me aside the way out and he was like and my british accent is crap now but he was like rebecca you're going he was like you're it's such a good job but if you really 
wanted to be stupendous or like marvelous. I, I mean, you would use your Southern accent. And then he was like, no, well, you know, and then just like left. And then he knows, he knows me. I want to, I want to be amazing. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then he was like, and then at one point he was like, oh, well, are you playing a man or a woman? And I was like, well, I think it's, I think it's a woman. And he's like, well, it would be very amazing if it was a man, but oh, well. And then the third time he was like, can we make it a very old man? And I was like, well, no, I'm kind of seeing him as a young man. He's like, well, let's just get you a cane. (laughs) I hear you, but let's get you a cane. Because I think he also knows deep down, I look like a, like a little fairy. Um, but deep down, I'm a weird character actor. My yeah. heart is, I want to take it way too far. I remember looking out into the audience once and one of the, um, one of the E ones just looked at me, not in amazement. His jaw was dropped. Just like, <laughs> 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 did not like that one bit. And <laughs> I think it's very funny. Anyways, but Robert would say, look at how Maggie can take up space. All this whole story. But like when the light was on you, you could like you it's it's not even like, oh, she thrust her chest out, you know, but it was just you at least. And I think you have to feel this way a little bit, even if you deny it. But I think you have to be comfortable being like, I'm here. You can look at me. Not like, oh, look at me. But it, and when I, because we had those bits where we stood and we faced out to the audience and we were talking. And I, that, that part of the show was honestly one of the most ingrained things because I, every night was like, Rebecca, you have to be comfortable with the audience just taking up space, having light, looking directly out. And that was something you were so good at doing asides out to the audience and you were just comfortable being taken in and I think I like acting because and I'm sure you do as well I want to disappear almost so no one is looking at me you know like that's how much I don't want to be looked at is please look at this other person I'm going to be um and that was something I really admired about you but that's ironic because that's exactly how I feel about it I in my own personal life public speaking, if you were to ask me to get up on stage and give a speech as myself, I would be freaking out. Mm -hmm. But to go on stage and to play a character that feels okay to allow people to look at me and take me in because I'm not myself. I am Mm -hmm. this other thing. They're not looking at me. They're looking at Ulysses, this character that I'm playing. So it's exactly the same thing. I, I find it an escape. Yeah, and I think that that's part of what draw, drew me to theater in the first place and to acting in the first place is because I had all this energy, but also I didn't really want the spotlight on me. So finding theater allowed me to have an outlet where I could express myself mm-hmm. and take center stage, but without the scariness of it being me, it felt like a safe space to do that. And I could yeah. walk away from that and then disappear on mm-hmm. the sidewalk. That's no, I mean, that's amazing. I think I'm just working on taking up space, if that makes sense. You know, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And it's just front facing audience. Um, another thing I've like watched and like noticed about you, I think also Robert. This is the Robert show. Let's be honest. Um, oh, Robert also know? pulled some tricks on me during. Toilets What's the trick he played on as well? What did he, he do? There was something with Ulysses for people who don't know the play. Ulyss- Ulysses is a very kind of a very Cassius esque yes. character. He's very manipulative and calculating. And Robert, again, walking down the halls of Lambda, just him and I having like a heart to heart about the character. I think we just finished rehearsal and we're still talking about what we were working on. Mm-hmm. And he just mentions to me, he's like, "Yes, I don't know if I've ever <laughs> seen a Ulysses." done well good luck and I was like oh fuck <laughs> batter up <laughs> oh I oh, there um do you remember the night that we went to the pear tree with him and it was just the two of yeah. us and him yeah so that night 
he he could he had a temper you know and um and he would yell and I am really big on I don't like yeah I don't like loud noises it's like an auditory thing and so we were like a couple of glasses of wine in and I was like listen Robert you yell that's fine I was like that's fine you yell um I'll cry that's okay too <laughs> like if you do yell I will cry that's fine I'll cry. And then we were doing tech and Robert yells from the back. Um, he's like, Rebecca, find your fucking light. Because I wasn't standing in the light. And it was fine. I just scooted. <laughs> you were like, <laughs> well, like my, I was in my wheelchair and I just <laughs> rolled my wheelchair over into the light and I'm doing my scene, probably my scene with you, but I have just tears just tears trickling down my face and we're doing tech so it's stop and go and he comes over and he whispers in my ear he goes Rebecca you're so fucking good at finding your light because he knew I I just need compliments just give me a compliment and I knew he was not telling the truth but I was like I am so good at finding my light you're right Robert I am good at finding my light I was like I can't let him down because it's like he like needs it because like I'm so good at it. Um, Robert is very he's very good at figuring out what you need, yeah, and adapting in the moment to give you what it is that you need. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's his greatest skill as a teacher. Probably he's just very intuitive. He can read people really, really well, mm-hmm. and so then he was like, "Okay, that didn't work. Let's adjust because actually, what she needs is this." Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, fun little side note, one of my closest friends here, I work with a theater company quite often. And one of my, like met her in the lobby one day, she did a, um, a semester at RADA or a term at RADA when he was there, he workshopped Troilus and Cressida with that group of people. And she was one of the Cressidas. So someone who later became one of my friends, like created, helped create the show that's a crazy small world isn't that weird I think she did one of Bailey's scenes yeah but he because I remember him saying he'd always wanted to direct it blah 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 um so anyways crazy small world so can I ask two different versions of life after Resident Evil one like just personally because watching all this from a distance it's kind of insane you know is weird and that was one of, insane, not from a distance as well. Yeah. So, okay. First let's talk as actors. You, I saw you like worked on, like you got to do something at the Muppets. Like what kind of auditions are you doing now? And what are the pieces of work you've done since? Yes. What have you been working on? Have I seen you? Have I anything? seen you anything? I, I, would I recognize you from anything? Um, <laughs> The thing I was doing at the Jim Henson studio, aka the Muppets, was a mocap gig. That was for Rogue Company for a character called Runway. And that's one of the ones I was telling you about. That was motion capture. So they had brought me in to just do the physicality for this character mm-hmm. and some other like random things. Um, so that's what that was. And that was cool too. Also, because I think at the end of it, we're like going around taking pictures outside in our derpy little mocap suits and then lo and behold there's also a really famous music studio in that whole complex Mm -hmm. and John Mayer happened to be there finishing his album and the whole him and his whole party are out in the front courtyard like drinking champagne and celebrating the the finishing of this album and we're like oh hey guys we're just in these velcro pajamas (laughs) like hey (laughs) we got some funny looks um Yes. Life after Resident Evil. Okay. I booked Resident Evil on my own. Mm -hmm. And then what is so interesting, let this be a lesson to all of us. What is so interesting is that I booked this gig. I knew it was going to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how big of a deal it was going to be. I thought Mm -hmm. that it would just be a big deal because the franchise itself is a big deal. Not that my character specifically would become a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that it was going to be a big deal, but then it takes so long to finish these projects. You can't say anything mm-hmm. or advertise that you've done it or 
capitalize on the work that you did on this game for like another two years. So in between the work on Resident Evil, there's a two year gap where I'm back to square one. It felt like where I'm just an actor fresh off the boat in Los Angeles, trying desperately to get auditions and to book a a couple of them. One would be nice, you know? like I'm a working actor. And so that was kind of the interim period where you're very much still feeling like, who am I? Am I even going to make it in LA? Because I have this great shiny credit, but nobody knows about it. And it's easy to forget that that exists. I think I forgot that that was coming down the line and I fell back into actor actor anxiety of, will I ever make it? Am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going to, will I prove myself here? Will I be able to become the successful actor that I want to be, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, irony of all ironies, my character blows up. The Mm -hmm. game blows up. It becomes a big deal. And now the entire course of my life has changed. And so it's kind of insane. So let that be a lesson. Let's all, it's a long game. It's a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's so easy to forget when you're just in the mud, in the dirty, sticky mud that you're going to get out of it. And in hindsight, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but yes, so pretty much right before the game was released, literally a week before the game was released, I signed with my very first voiceover agent Mm -hmm. and then the game was released and I was like, uh, surprise I'm lady D and they were like, Oh, okay. Um, so it's an interesting thing. A lot of people ask me if playing Lady D has gotten me a lot more auditions or has booked me jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for me to tell that because I did just sign with a voiceover agent right before. So now I'm auditioning all the time, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's because of Lady D. I think that's because of my new voiceover agents. Mm-hmm. I don't think the character of Lady D has booked me any new roles, but I do think that the relationships I created. And again, this is why it's a marathon, not a sprint. The relationships I created with the director, with the producer, with the developers at Capcom, those relationships will eventually book me more work. But it's not like the next day I got a phone call saying, Lady D, you're the actress who played Lady D. We want you on this. Mm -hmm. Here's your offer. No. Yeah. So I'm still auditioning, but now it's exciting because I'm totally geared towards voiceover now specifically Mm -hmm. and motion capture and, and performance capture still. And so I'm, I'm auditioning full time. My nine to five is pretty much auditions. I'm locked in a closet by myself. (laughs) Oh, yay. But Um, is it mostly like if you're doing like voiceover auditions though, I'm sure that is ideal to be locked in a closet. It's not always like can I have a reader? Can someone read? Can some, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause I, yeah. The self tapes are self tapes are really hard. Self tapes always feel like an uphill battle mm-hmm. <laughs> just to get it going. Um, voiceover less so because you're less dependent on other people in order to get it done, mm-hmm. but it can still get draining to, I think nowadays I'm feeling tired of acting by myself. I'm tired of acting in a vacuum to a wall, you know, Mm -hmm. part of the joy of acting is connecting and reacting to what other people are putting in front of you. And I miss having that. So then anytime I get a chance to go into the studio for a session, it's such a joyous moment because even if there's not another actor in front of me, at least there's a director or producer being like, oh, Mags, that was great. Can we try it maybe a little bit more like this? And then I'm like, great. Yes, of course. Let's play. Let's do it just to have somebody else there to give a bit of direction and give a bit of feedback, as opposed to you just listening back to your take and being like, well, that was shit. Let's do that again. Yeah. Da, 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 da. You and know? then you hear your voice so much that you're just like, I, I hate the sound of my voice. Now listening yeah. back to these episodes, when I edit, makes me want to die. <laughs> I can't finish a sentence, Maggie. Did you know that? I think I did. And really? not in a critique, not in a critique way. Thank but you. But that's the, just the beautiful way that you communicate. You're very fluid and you <laughs> really pivot to, from one idea to the next. I have and this, it's I, have a, it's I have a great clip where I changed the course of my sentence 12 times in 12 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I like went back and I was like, wait, cause it's like, wait, no. <laughs> 
And then I like, <laughs> on this, and then I'm like, okay. And then I go into just this random thing. So I hold myself to, I'm comparing myself to the grades. Diane Keaton and Greta Gerwig can't finish a sentence to save their lives and neither can I. That's okay. So there. So but also there. like so much of this work. I also joke that oftentimes acting school is just about learning who you are as a person. Yes. First and also learning that who you are is what makes you unique and is what makes people want to hire you. So the more authentically yourself that you can be, all of these things of not being able to finish a sentence of just having you, you're, you have such a dexterous brain where you're just constantly flipping back and forth between all of these different ideas that are going on inside your head. That's what makes you unique. And that's, what's going to be book you, your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes you the artist that you are. Can, okay. We've, officially reached an hour, but I have two more questions I want to ask you for sure. And then also I have some, a video I need to send you and then this is, and you have to watch it. How many more (laughs) minutes do you have? I've got more minutes. Yeah. I have until the sun sets. If we start to descend into darkness, you'll know. That's Uh, that's natural light. It's so pretty. Yeah. I have a window right there. Um, okay. Well then I have a few more and jokes on me in this moment. I just said, I have two more things for you and then we do the equal length of how far we had gotten into the conversation. So we were an hour in. I knew I had an hour. I had run over that hour and I'm about to run through my second later. So we're going to have a part two. This is the first time the Search for Ping podcast has ever done a part two. Um, I have told Maggie at some point, I've just listened to the whole thing. Um, It's great, so tune in next week. But um, yeah, I've been having a lot of weird dreams. So the the night after, I woke up and I was like, there should be a part two. And I was like, man, I'm having weird dreams right now. (laughs) Anyways, there's going to be a part two. Um, in this episode, we covered acting, her beginning into acting. Um, we're going to keep talking about motion capture work. We're going to keep talking about what it's been like um, for the world to kind of take Lady D in in the way that it has. Um, thank you to everyone who has listened thus far. Um, be sure to follow me at The Search for Pink. Um It's spelled like it is in uh, the Instagram. Uh, Just to see the post for immediately when part two comes out, follow us. That's also a great way to find out. And um, please uh, rate us five stars here on Spotify, five stars or on Apple Podcasts if you could give us five stars and a review. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it. Um, Share it in your stories, share it on Twitter. And uh, let me know what you thought of the episode. I am kind of a sensitive person, so, you know, be nice to me. I am kind of nervous that possibly a lot of people I don't know is going to be listening to this. Uh, So please be nice to me. But, um, yeah, just uh, let me know anything you have to say. And um, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you've had as much fun listening to part one as uh, you can definitely tell we had uh, recording it. Uh, So thank you guys and have a great week. Bye-bye.